back in there. Thank you, worship team. Such wonderful worship. Really appreciate all the work that they, each one puts into getting ready each week and bringing us into the presence of God. Make sure you let them know how much you appreciate the work that they do and the preparation they put in getting things ready. Glory be to God. Isn't it nice to come out to church in a nice warm morning for January? So much better than battling all that cold stuff that was going on. Surely enjoy that, that a whole lot better. All right. Well, we're going to be in a couple of different places here this morning. First of all, we're going to be in John chapter 20. But how many times have you been either doing a project, making something in the kitchen, or somehow just doing something, and you, um, you accidentally threw out something that you needed? You ever done that? Maybe you're cooking something in the kitchen and you threw out the directions because you thought you were done. And then all of a sudden you're, oh, I didn't remember how did I do this? What was the temperature for this? How long for this? And then you got to go in there and and fish them back out again to to find out what was going on. Or maybe uh, an ingredient. You accidentally threw it out. Didn't mean to, but there it went out in the trash. You got to go out there and fish that thing out. Or you're doing a project. And you didn't think you needed this piece. You thought, well, this, is, this piece is for when you set it up this way. I'm not setting up that way. And you, you threw that out. Sometimes we're throwing out the wrong stuff. And then we've got to go find it. Either we've got to go find out where we threw it to. Or got to go through the trash. Kind of pick it out. You know, it's got to be something really good if you have to go through the trash. Because it's all messy and kind of gross in there. But if it's important enough, we go out there and we get it. We're going to look at some things that people cast away here today. And sometimes we throw away the wrong things. We're still studying this area of recovering from an injury or healing from an injury when we've been injured in some way. Some of the things to review that help us in this is that first off, put yourself in a position to hear. Put yourself in a position to hear from God. Train yourself to instantly obey the voice of your spirit. When that voice comes up and says something, train yourself that you obey it. We talked about last week that you can even train fish. If you can train fish, you can train you. Train yourself to do that. A lot of times we train ourselves to not obey. We train ourselves to, to be slothful in that area. But don't, don't do that. And then heed the command when you hear it. These are things that are preparing us so that when we get a command from Jesus, like stretch forth your hand, go wash, take up your bed and walk. When we get these kind of commands, we're in a position that we hear those commands and then we're ready to do them. We went over this to you before, before. Sickness and disease, in that area we take authority over it. But when we get in the area of injury and restoration, we have to submit to his authority. Sickness and disease, you have authority over that. But when we get in the area of injury and restoration, we need to submit to his authority. What is he telling you to do? And in the cases we saw in the Word of God, for one, it was stretch forth your hand. For another, it was go show yourself to the priest. For another, it was go wash. Different things that were being said. And we need to listen. We are in a position to hear. And then, of course, go out there and do it. Last week, when we were looking at the lepers. We looked at the ten lepers. We looked at Naaman. We looked at the one leper who was healed. And out of those three cases, one of them was healed because Jesus touched him. The other two were healed because of something they did. And with Naaman, 
Jesus even brings up the whole idea with Naaman. Don't you get the idea from what Jesus said about Naaman? He said, how many lepers were there in Israel? And yet the one that was healed is Naaman the Syrian. Don't you get the idea from that? That there would have been others that could have been healed as well. But they didn't put themselves in a position to hear the words. And maybe they didn't even do the words that they heard to do. But Naaman did. Naaman almost didn't. But eventually he, he did. So John chapter 20. Let's take a look at this. We want to take a look at some, some unbelief. This is just kind of review. We've gone over this. I think every couple of years we go over some of these, these things. Just pulling out one of these principles here. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them with Jesus, when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he heard from the disciples, hey, we saw the Lord. And he says, I'm not going to believe it. Unless I see, unless I do. And after eight days, so that's eight days, he walked in unbelief, isn't it? After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look in my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, and you have believed. So in this, in this passage here, in this story, Jesus defines for us what unbelief is. Because a lot of Christians think unbelief is a whole lot of different things. But Jesus defines what unbelief is. And one of the things that will keep you from receiving the things of God is unbelief. But unbelief is not ignorance. I think I gave you a list of, of here. Let's go over the three reasons people do not receive healing. Three reasons or three uh, things that keep people in unbelief. Number one, well, not unbelief, I'm sorry. Three reasons people do not receive healing. So the first one is disobedience. I want to write these in there. First reason people do not receive healing is disobedience. They didn't do what they were told to do. The second one, is unbelief. They disbelieved what they were told. They disbelieved what the Word of God said. They disbelieved what the Spirit of God said. They were told, they heard it, but they disbelieved it. So the first one is disobedience. The second one, I don't believe that. Disobedience is, I believe that's true, but I'm not going to do it. Now, we'll go over it like this. You came to church here today, and the light was red. How many of you listened to the light? And you stopped. All right. Now I have a confession to make here on this one. When I come down at 3 a.m. in the morning, I do not obey all the traffic lights. And I have good reason for it too. Because they're messed up. That's why I don't do it. Now, I'll, <laughs> I'll admit that to you. And it's coming down Canyonland Road. How many know where all that construction is in Canyonland Road? Those lights are messed up. If you really want to see how messed up they are, come down at 3 a.m. in the morning and you will see how crazy messed up those lights are. Because I'm coming down, down to a light and it's green and then it just turned green and I'm heading on down to it and 15 seconds later, it turns yellow. I mean, that's it. 15, 20 seconds and it's turning again. And they're giving the time instead of the people on Canyonland Road, they're giving it to that little tiny road that's going on there. Nobody's on it. And so I stop and I watch for the red light. And I wait. I don't run that one. 
But there is one red light that I run every single Sunday if I'm coming down that way. In fact, sometimes I even go a different way so I don't run into this particular red light. Because I don't understand this red light. This red light absolutely makes no sense at all to me. And I am in disobedience to that red light. When that red light comes on, I just say, I don't care what you are. I don't care if you're red. I don't care if you're yellow. I don't care if you're green. I'm going. <laughs> if you're over there by the CVS on Kind Line Road and you want to make a left-hand turn, it is always red. It's always red. Except if you are at the light for 152. The people that are on 152 can come straight on through because that light is green and it is timed so that the left-hand turn light is green while it is green for the 152 people. And so I'm sitting there at the red light for 152 watching no one come through. Because it's 3 a.m. in the morning and nobody's coming through in there. And the green light for the left arrow is just green, 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 just inviting. Come on, come on, come on. And I know as soon as my light turns, you're going you're gonna to turn on me. I know it. And sure enough, as soon as it starts to cycle and my light goes green, that one is red every single time. So I come up to that left-hand turn light. The rest of the light is green. If you want to go straight, you can go. But if you want to turn left, you got to stop. So I stop. I look all the different ways and I go. (laughs) I'm I'm sitting there for two, three minutes and no one is here. When I first started doing that, it was actually dangerous to sit in that road because it was narrower and there was snow and there was ice and stuff. And you're sitting there in the middle of the road. There isn't a whole lot of space and anybody's going by you. It was a little bit, I said, I'm not sitting here like a sitting duck waiting for somebody to take me out. I'm going to (laughs) go. So now that's that's, uh, disobedience. You see, I believe the light is red. I know I'm supposed to stop for a red light, but I am not going to do it. That's disobedience. That's the difference there. Unbelief is when you come up to the red light and says, I don't think it's red. I don't, I don't think it's red. I don't, I don't believe that it was red. If the officer pulls you over and he says, uh, you ran a red light, I don't believe it was red. I believe it was yellow. And so we, we walk in unbelief. I don't, I don't believe that that was the case. I'm not walking in disobedience. I'm in unbelief. I don't think that it was, that it was red. And so that's, uh, that's the difference between unbelief and disobedience. And then the, uh, the third one is ignorance. The third one is ignorance. When you don't know what a red light is supposed to tell you to do. How many people are driving around and how many times do we see people that are ignorant? I'm sure no one in this room. But you know there are drivers out there that are ignorant of the fact that you are not supposed to cross lanes in an intersection. How many know that's true? Constantly I see people that just cross lanes in the middle of an intersection. For some reason it just gets me really upset. I think... Why are you guys doing that? Don't you know? You're not supposed to cross lanes in an intersection. Got to wait till you get through it. But they do it. So there's your three reasons for people not receiving healing. Disobedience, unbelief, and ignorance. Now here, Jesus called Thomas a person in unbelief. He was not in disobedience. He was not in ignorance. He was in unbelief. Unbelief is the rejection of truth. Unbelief is simply this. The rejection of truth. How many times has the enemy come up to you and told you the reason you're not healed, the reason you don't have this is because of unbelief? And and we know unbelief would keep us from something. And so I fall into that. Well, I guess I'm in unbelief. Unbelief, you are only in unbelief if you have rejected the truth 
that you have heard. If some, someone comes to you and says, Jesus is the healer, I don't believe that. Now you're in unbelief. Up until then, you were ignorant. But once someone came and enlightened you and you said, I'm not going to believe it, you were in unbelief. Thomas was told by people he knew, people he trusted, we have seen the Lord. He says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Jesus said he was in unbelief. So that's unbelief. That's just a little review on stuff. So Jesus calls Thomas unbelieving or faithless. So don't let the enemy pull you into thinking that you're in unbelief if you've accepted the truth. There might be something else going on. Now we're going to take a look at blind Bartimaeus. We've been on healing stories the last number of weeks. I love the healing stories. If I had my way, I think I'd go over, go over them every year with y'all. I go over them at least a couple of times myself, just reading over them. There's, there's so much to be learned from them. Of all the healing things that Jesus did, there's only certain ones that we were given in the Word. There's a reason for those ones that are there. And we need to find out why. In Mark chapter 10, now before when we spent a whole lot of time on this, we actually went through the three Gospels that cover a similar incident of this. Uh, two of them seem to be the same. One seems to be different. On uh, two of them, I believe Jesus was coming out of Jer- Jericho. On one of them, Jesus was going to Jericho. On uh, Matthew's account, which happens quite often, Matthew lists that there were two people. But in this account, we only have one. Matthew often does that in miracles. He'll list that there were two people that were healed, whereas the other people who covered the, uh, the same story show only one. Not sure why that is, but that very often comes up. All right, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now, they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. There's a little rhyme going on there. Isn't that kind of nice? And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise. He is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, if you're wondering why we're, we're looking at this in the area of injury, we have no idea if Bartimaeus was injured, whether he was born blind, or if there's any kind of a factor. In it. We, it could have been sickness and disease that took away his, his blindness. We don't know. But in the area of blindness, there needs to be a restoration, much of which has to be done with a healing of a, of a, from an injury or something like that. So we can look at it, but the main reason we're looking at this is because the principles we've been studying in healing from injury are very much demonstrated here. And we want you to get a chance to see them. So he cries out once he heard that, it, that it's Jesus. He hears, this is Jesus. Jesus who? Jesus of Nazareth. <gasps> the, the guy who goes around healing. And once he hears that, he says, Jesus, son of David. See, he's declaring him to be the son of David, the Messiah. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus didn't hear him at first. There must have been a good crowd around there. And so he kept calling out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And finally, Jesus hears him. 
And he says, hold on a minute. Who is that calling? Now, the whole time this is going on, he's calling out Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And people around him are saying, hush. We don't need to hear that. Quiet down. And he's not listening to them. He just gets up there and calls out all the more. And Jesus, he gets his attention. So there's pressure on him to be quiet. But he didn't. He kept going. So Jesus stood still. Now it comes to this part that once he gets Jesus' attention, he calls for the man. And so they come to him then and said, Be of good cheer. Rise. He's calling you. And then at verse 50, And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now if you've been around here for a little while, you've heard this be- before. I, I was taught this. I believe it, was, uh, it sounds like something that Brother Rick Renner would share. He gets into this kind of detail. And I'm pretty sure it came from something like that, but I'm not exactly sure where it was that I, uh, who taught it to me. But the garment that he is throwing away is a blind man's garment. It's something that, that would identify you as a blind man and would basically give you, um, I don't know how else to, to put it, it's basically a permit to beg. So you have this blind man's garment. You have a permit holding this blind man's garment. You have a permit to beg. Otherwise, they just have people lined up all over. So these, they're basically saying, we authenticate this man is blind or this man is, is uh, hindered in some way. And if you want to help him out, he's got a garment that identifies him as one that is, that is uh, permitted to beg in that particular area. Maybe some areas they wouldn't do that in, but you know, that close to the city, I guess they, uh, they had that going on. So he had this, this garment. Because the closer you are to the city, the more people that come through. And that's what you want. You want to be able to go through where there's a, a lot of people. If you go down into the city of Philadelphia, you'll find that there are people begging on corners where there's lots of traffic. If there's no traffic, people aren't there begging. They want a high traffic of people coming on through so that they can uh, find some who will have pity on them and, and give them some money. And so blind Bartimaeus, once he's called by Jesus, he takes his garment and the word there is that he, he throws it. He casts it. This particular word is only used one other time. We're not going to get to it right now, but we are going to get to it. Only one other time is this word being used in Scripture. Kind of a unique word now, that way. But it's used here, and Mark uses this word to describe how he, how he got rid of it. So I want you to paint a picture of this. This particular word doesn't just mean to drop something. It means... Picture, well, let's picture it this way. Have you ever been working, let's just say, a piece of Ikea furniture? You all know what I'm talking about here, right? Because we've all experienced frustration putting together Ikea furniture. It is very frustrating furniture to put together. Most times when I'm talking to people about bunk beds, I, ref- I compare our bunk beds to Ikea furniture. And I said, if you want to put it together yourself, it's not like Ikea furniture. And they say, oh, good. <laughs> I get that all the time from you. Oh, good. Oh, I so don't like that. We don't like the frustration. We don't like the fa- I don't like the fact of having directions with no words. Directions with pictures don't help me as much as they do with words. Pictures are fine, but to put the words in there for those of us who can read, which is what, 90% of the, the people in this country can read or some high number, but we put pictures in there because some people can't read. I guess that's the reason for it. I don't, maybe they just don't want to do them all the different languages or that they'd have to do. But whatever the reason is, we have those things there. It's very frustrating to put this together. 
It's very difficult. And sometimes, I'm sure nobody here in this room, but other places, you know, you get frustrated with it. You take some of the stuff and you throw it across the room, right? Because I'm so frustrated. Just throw it across the room. Just, mm. You got your phone. Your phone's not working the way it's supposed to do. And you take it and what do you do? Throw it across the room. That's going to help. it. But we're frustrated. We're angry. We, we take this thing and we, we throw it. Well, this guy, he's not frustrated. He's not angry. But it's the same kind of action. He's not just dropping it. He's taking that thing and he is throwing it. He is throwing it away from him. And then he's going over to Jesus. Let's look at what else Jesus says to him. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? That'd be like you going up to the, the beggar on the street who's got the, the, the uh, hat or the cup or whatever it is that they're collecting money in. And they hold it out there and you say, What do you want? What's he going to say? He's not going to say coupons. He's going to say, Money. Do you have some money? In fact, you don't even say that to him. You know, if he's coming up, that's what they want. Am I prepared to give money? If not, then you, you move on. But Jesus constantly asks people, what do you want? And even blind people, they're blind. I mean, it's very obvious when a blind person comes up to you. They're blind. They're not looking straight at you. They're looking in different, different places. It's, it's pretty easy to tell. Sometimes you don't have to not wearing sunglasses like they would be today. Back then, they weren't wearing sunglasses. I don't know that they had glasses to, to put on for that. But they would... Um, their eyes would appear to be blind. You could see. They're not functioning right. They're, 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 not, they're not right there. But Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, what he would say, I like his wording here. He said, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Isn't that interesting? He puts his emphasis on the receiving. That I may receive my sight. Which tells us he hadn't received it yet, right? So when Jesus is asking him this, he had still not received it. That's real important to keep note of that. While he is asking Jesus, while Jesus is asking him, what do you want me to do? He is still blind. That I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Does Jesus lay hands on this man? Does Jesus speak over this guy? Does he touch him in any way? Spit on the ground? Make clay? Doesn't do any of those things, does he? There seems to be no physical contact between Jesus and the man. Now the one case we had last week, the one leper who was cleansed, Jesus touched him. The other two, he did not. But on this one, he doesn't touch him. And he says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you... Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. His faith did it. When did he have faith? Jesus is obviously pointing at something, right? There is something in this man that points to the fact that he had faith. 
when did this man have faith? And Jesus says, your faith has made you well, right? But he's still not seen. He comes to Jesus, what do you want? That I may receive my sight. He's still blind. But Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately the word of God says, he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So where is this man's faith? What happened with this man? Now remember when the lame man, or I'm sorry, the the man with the withered hand, Jesus said to him, stretch forth his hand. When he stretched forth his hand, he, it was restored. When the blind guy came to him, he made spit in the ground, or he spit in the ground, made clay, put it on his eyes, said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he went and washed in the pool of Siloam, then his eyes were open. There was an action that he did. There was an action for the man with the withered hand. There was an action for the man to take up your bed and walk. There was an action for that. There was an action for Naaman, go and wash seven times in the Jordan. And he went and washed seven times. And on the seventh time, he came out and he was healed. So we see these situations we looked at. There was an action that they had to do when they did the action. Healing came. And it was stated about, it was discussed by Jesus about their faith. Their faith being involved. So here we have the case, your faith has made you well. When was his faith? What did Jesus tell him to do? (laughs) And it can go right by us on this. Because Jesus does not tell him to do anything. Yet the man does something. Now the first thing we have him doing that he's calling out for Jesus. The second thing we have him doing that the Word of God makes very clear to make sure that we know about it is that he threw away his blind man's garment. Now that's huge because if you are blind and you throw away a garment into a crowd, how are you going to get that garment back? That's basically your permit to beg. That is your livelihood that you have just thrown away. If you are not healed, you are in big trouble. So when he throws it away, he's basically saying, I won't need this anymore. He doesn't just drop it. He doesn't put it down in a place where he can come back and get it later. He takes that thing and he throws it. And that's why this word is used here. He throws it away. I don't need it anymore. Did Jesus tell him to do that? But Jesus points back to his faith, right? When does he demonstrate faith in the story? Does he demonstrate faith by saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me? We got a lot of people who say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. We got a lot of people who call on Jesus. Jesus, have mercy on me. Help me out. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. We got lots of people who do that. They don't seem to be faith with it. So of the two things we have him doing, the only thing that we can really say there's any faith with is throwing away the garment. Except Jesus didn't tell him to do it. But he did it. And look at the words of Jesus. Go your way. Your faith has made you well, isn't it interesting? Jesus doesn't say that the power of God made you well. Jesus doesn't say, I have healed you. He says, 
go your way. Your faith has made you well. Hmm. I'll put this in your outline for you. Uh, We'll get to that here in just a minute. He had faith before he was healed, didn't he? Because there's nothing he did from the time that he said that I may receive my sight to the time that Jesus says, your faith has made you well. There's nothing he does. He's just standing there. His faith was before that. So he has the faith, yet he is still blind. But Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Isn't that interesting? Just because you're still carrying around something that from an injury, from, from damage, somehow still need restoration, doesn't mean you don't have, faith, don't have any faith. Don't let the enemy tell you that. Don't let the enemy tell you you don't have any faith. Don't let the enemy tell you your unbelief. You're only in unbelief if you have rejected the truth. That's when you're in unbelief. If you haven't rejected the truth, you're not in unbelief. Don't let the enemy tell you that. And don't let the enemy tell you you don't have any faith. Because the evidence of your faith is not your healing. If the evidence of your faith was your healing then why wasn't this man healed when he first had faith? Jesus said to him, look at the words of Jesus again. Go your way. doesn't say receive your healing. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. So it has to mean that for whatever period of time the man had faith but didn't have a healing. But Jesus said your faith that you have without a healing is what brings the healing to you. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. And he went around following Jesus. Well, now he can. He can see. The only thing we have is that act of throwing away the garment. Now, on the other one, stretch forth your hand. Why did he stretch forth his hand? Because Jesus said so. Why did he go wash in the pool of Siloam? Because Jesus said so. Why did he rise, take up his bed and walk? Because Jesus said so. All those cases, we have something that Jesus said to do, and they went and did it. Go show yourself to the priest. Why? Because Jesus said so. Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so, they went and did it. But this man has nothing that Jesus said to do. And yet Jesus says, your faith. It's your faith. So where does he... Can we just all throw away our garments? How does it get, how is it that him throwing away his garment is an act of faith for him, but if you throw away your garment, it's not? Or is it? Look at this verse again. Go your way, your faith has made you well, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. 
Now faith, hope, and expectation carry, carry me into action. When you have faith, when you have hope, when you have expectation, it's going to carry you into an action. If you have wrong faith, wrong hope, and wrong expectation, it's going to carry you into an action. Somehow it's going, to, it's going to change what you do. If you expect that you have done a great job last year for your company, and you expect that on the basis of what they have said, they would give you a raise, it would cause you to have an action to go in and say, hey, I've met the requirements. How about a raise? But if you didn't have that, expectation if they didn't tell you what the requirements were if you don't feel like you met up made up with the requirements then your expectation will go down this man had an expectation of jesus that if i can get an audience with jesus if i just get in front of jesus if i can get jesus to be where i am i know i can receive a healing i know i just got to get in front of jesus just like the woman with the issue of blood if i just touch the hem of his garment he's probably saying i heard about jesus I hear about him. If I can just get in front of Jesus, if I can just get an audience of Jesus, and when he hears that Jesus is coming by, he makes a lot of noise to get the attention of Jesus because that's where his faith, that's where his hope, that's where his expectation is. I put this in your outline for your doubt and unbelief. Have me in a place waiting for the action to happen. If you are in doubt and unbelief, you are waiting for some action to happen. Well, I'm waiting for someone to come along with a healing ministry and lay hands on me that I, re- may re- that I may receive. I'm waiting for, and you list the thing that's, that's going to be. I'm waiting for something to happen. That's in doubt and unbelief. We don't have to be there. All this guy is waiting for, all I need is Jesus to come by. Jesus comes by, I know. I know what to do. I just need to get his attention. If I get his attention, I'll re- I will receive this thing. I'm ready to get it. Now, I put this in your outline. This is, uh, this is imperative for you to learn. Not every Christian will understand this. I'm sharing it with you because I know that you will. I got this uh, some weeks ago and, and getting it wrote it down in my, my little notepad. I knew eventually we, we would get to this. Don't look at this as elementary. I looked at this and said, Dear Lord, help me to get the rest of this. Help me to get the rest of this down. It's simple, but it's what will help you out. There are three, three levels of hearing. Three levels of hearing that people will walk in as a Christian. You've got to know that they're there to walk in them. Most Christians don't even pay attention that they're there, let alone trying to get past it. If you do not diligently try to get past the first level, you will never come to the knowledge of what level two and what level three will do. You've got to diligently make that effort. Here's the three levels. Of hearing. The first one is what is written. What is written in the Word of God? There needs to be certain obedience with what is written. I need to come into a place of obe- obeying what God has written. If I do not obey what God has written, why would God do anything more? Now, I'm going to give you some examples here on this, and you just see how well that you do in this area. Galatians chapter 5. How many of you are reading your chapter a day? I mean, you're not reading your chapter today. Go ahead and admit it. <laughs> All right, get on with it. Just start off tomorrow. Just don't worry about the past stuff. Just start off tomorrow and get going. This is tomorrow's reading. I'm going to read part of it ahead for you right now. I guess if you have to, you can count it. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. 
I'm sorry, this is actually, we, we did this before. Or did I copy in the wrong? I think I copied in the wrong one because I was copying something from, I may have, may have done. Anyway, we'll read this one. Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For though, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. I'm pretty sure I, write, I got the wrong one here. Pull up Ephesians chapter 5, would you? I wonder if I just grabbed the wrong... The wrong one. Paul of Ephesians chapter 5, go with the verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as, as dear children. That's more in the area we want. This is what's written in the Word of God. Be imitators of... Be imitators of... God. How many times do we imitate something different? How many times do we imitate what other Christians have done because, well, if brother so-and-so does it, sister so-and-so does it, Right? doesn't say become imitators of brother or sister so-and-so, does it? It says be imitators of God. That means if everybody in church does something wrong, what should you do? Be imitators of God. If you're in a church service and not a single one of them is worshiping, who should you imitate? <laughs> you see, we, we fall under the thing of becoming imitators of the wrong stuff. Be imitators of God as dear children. Go on to verse 2. That's not even the meat of this yet. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and aroma. Walk in what? Now, how many times, don't raise your hand on this one. How many times have you not walked in love because of the actions of another brother or sister? And the walk in love is defined by 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many times have you not walked in love because of what some other brother or sister has done? Or maybe not even a brother or sister, maybe somebody in the world. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. What's your example? As Christ loved you. Not how other people have loved you, but how Christ loved you. That's how we're supposed to walk. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smell and aroma. Go on to verse 3. For by fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So what's it saying? <laughs> Don't be a fornicator. Don't want someone who's going out having sex with people you're not married to. And yet, how many Christians do you know who will go and embark in that and give an example of other Christians? We're supposed to be imitators of God. But fornication... And all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So we have, well, we'll go on to hit that in a minute. Verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking. How many Christians do you know that have filthiness in their language? Or foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. I've had people, they want to tell off-color jokes. And, and then they find out I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean I... I don't want to hear that kind of kind of stuff. You know, they just start putting off this off-color thing, and I just sit there and don't laugh. 
I just sit there kind of stone-faced. And, oh, you didn't think that was funny? I said, no. Eventually they got the idea. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Going to verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't let me deceive you. He says, with empty words. It's, don't, it's up to you to not let that happen. Go on to verse 7. Therefore, do not be tar- partakers with them. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't walk in darkness. You're children of light. Walk in the light. Verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. One more. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. We need to be on a, on a quest as Christians to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. What does He want me to do? What's acceptable? And then even go beyond that. What does He desire me to do? All right. Let's go into another area of, of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5. We've read these things over before, taught them before with you. Makes some of y'all nervous. But it's in the Bible. Now concerning the things in which she wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, we've taught on that before. Like I said, it made a whole lot of you nervous, but you can talk about those things in church. But look at these two areas of scriptures. As far as single people, we're not supposed to be having sex with people we're not married to. As far as married people, you're supposed to be having sex with some person you are married to. (laughs) But what happens in the church today as well as in the world? The single people are having lots of sex and the married people are having very little. Why is that? (laughs) Because the enemy knows that sexual relationships between a man and a woman are meant to bring the two together and to tie them together. There is a bond that comes from those. The purpose of sex is not for kids. The purpose is to create a bond between a husband and a woman, or a husband and a wife. That's the purpose of it. One of the things that, that comes about it for that is children. But when you're having sex with someone you're not married to, you're creating a bond to someone that you are not bound to. And when you are married to them and, and sex is withheld, then you are resisting that bond being continued. And so Paul even says, don't, don't, uh, don't withhold this. In a marriage relationship. And when we taught him this before, we, he relates. I didn't relate it. He related it to fasting. And so we use that as an example. If you want to know how often a husband and wife should have sex. How often do you eat? Well, that's a little too often. All right. How long do you go with not eating before you consider it to be fasting? Because he's relating it to fasting. So if... Going without food for one day is fasting for you? Then guess what? 
It can be the same thing in the, in the other. But notice what he says in there. And we didn't go, I know I didn't cover this the last time. I was getting close to I just I don't know why. I just made a note that I didn't cover this part of it. Do you notice in verse, go back to verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Uh, five, maybe I made them in three. Go to five. Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourself the fasting and, and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. Do not deprive one another except with what? Most times in a husband and wife's relationship, in a marriage relationship, most times that sex is being withheld in that relationship it is because one person decided. Oh, well, amen, Pastor, on that one. That's, uh, that's just the way that... Now, the reason we're bringing this up right now is this is how much we disobey the written word of God. We went through Ephesians. And how many of those things can we find that we've, we've messed up on? And that's the written word. It's real clear. This is what you do. Here's this one to married people. And how many married people you know in the church? We're not talking about the world. We're talking about in the church. In the church who don't live up to the scripture. If we can't follow directions as they are written, how am I going to follow directions that are spoken? All right, slighten it up a little bit. Now, I can teach you this stuff. It doesn't mean that I am 100% following this stuff. <laughs> I can get messed up on this stuff like as much as anybody else can. But uh, you all know a little saga of my finger, a little thing on Facebook I put up there. You know, I smashed my finger. And it got infected, you know, for a while it just was sore, 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 just sore for a while. And then eventually infection stopped in. Eventually, uh, I looked at it and I said, man, that pain is just shooting up the finger, it's shooting up in the hand. I was, I was feeling it all the way up into here. It's just, just pain, just shooting all the way on up. I said, I guess I better go get it uh, checked out. So I went and got checked it out, you know, and they, uh, they gave me some medications for it. They said, you know, take these things and, and this will help knock out the infection. But he told me this thing. He says, you need to soak it three times a day. He didn't tell me why. He just said to soak it three times a day. I'm figuring, you know, my own mind, I put things together. I consider myself to be bright. Sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> he, he said, you need to soak it three times a day. So the first day I had it and I came back from there, I soaked it three times that day. Three times. Warm water, you know, about a half hour each time. Uh, I'm not a big fan of sitting and soaking the finger in water because you've got to sit. So I did it the first day. The second day, I think I did it once or twice. But then this dropped down in my, my head my head about it. If I keep soaking it, I'm going to keep the scab from forming and the infection can still get it and keep getting in there. Doesn't that make sense to you? If you keep soaking the thing, it's not going to scab up. And I, mean, I even asked him, he says, do you want me to put the, the external stuff on it? He says, no, 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 don't do that. Leave that stuff off, just, uh, just as pills we're giving you and soak it. So I started cutting back on how much I was soaking it. In fact, by the time I went back for the follow-up appointment, which I guess I went in the doctor, the urgent care on Saturday, I went back for the, I called for a follow-up on Tuesday, but they were too busy. So I went on, I guess it was a Wednesday I went on in there to have them check it out or called on Monday or whatever it was. It was the day after I called. So I get in there. He looks it over. He says, oh, it seems to be doing okay. He says, but you still got to soak it. <laughs> See, by then I had stopped soaking it. Because I had reason in my mind, well, you know, I started doing that and I want to keep, I want that scab to form so that the infection doesn't keep getting in there. Doesn't that make sense to you? But you see, I had instructions, <laughs> very clear instructions. He just didn't explain to me why. 
And you see, as soon as we don't have the explanation as to why, what do we do? We, we figure out our own reasons for why and we do it our own way. And so I was doing it my own way. And so he says, you need to go back to soaking it. And, uh, you know, get in there and, and soak that thing and, and, uh, and get it going. And, but he explained to me why. He says, you have, and they had a condition. I don't know what it was called. Um, some of you folks that are in the medical profession uh, probably know what this is. Apparently, there's a, often happens enough that it's a condition that they have. But he said the infection is there between the, the skin and the nail. And he said when you soak it, it allows the infection to leak out. So you've got to soak it in order to get, otherwise, he said, if you don't do that, we're going to have to open it up. So I said, okay, I'll keep soaking it. <laughs> so I got back to, to soaking it. I, I think I soaked it three times that first day. I think I soaked it twice the next day. <laughs> I, and it was feeling better. So I, I was cutting back. I was soaking it maybe once. You know, if I remember, I would sit down down and, and soak it. And so it, it started to red up on me again. And it's starting to swell up. And I'm starting to feel the pain start to go up the finger and go up in it. So I said, I guess I better start soaking it a little more. <laughs> I stopped doing it. I was not I figured, all right, we're getting better. Everything's, everything's going well. Now I've got to keep going back and soaking it. But it's tough to do that. So this morning, I was over there in the office. And you had to do it with warm water. And I was, I was trying to soak it. You know, because it was hurting this morning. Because it kind of puffs up a lot. I just kind of putting all that pressure on the skin and stuff like that. So I was soaking it, trying to help it out, but I, I can't do what I'm doing with one hand in a cup of water. So I didn't soak it all that I should do it, so I guess I'll have to go home and maybe when I'm watching the Eagles game, I'll, I'll soak it and put some stuff on it. But you see, even though I know this stuff, I can be told to some things and I can adjust it and I can change it and I can follow it my own way and then I'm not getting the benefit of it. So don't think I'm, a, I'm perfect to this thing either. This thing probably should have been all fixed up and healed and taken care of by now. And I'm still going on with it because we, um, we have these things going, going on. How about this area in 1 Corinthians 13? How many times, and I'll tell you what, I, this, this, if Christians could get this down. Brother Hagin used to tell us this often enough. He would have his staff just meditate on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4, 5, and 6 almost on a daily basis because we're so quick to, to leave it. The whole chapter, of course, is good, but 4, 5, and 6 really tell you how you're supposed to walk. And one of the things that it would say in there is to believe the best in others. Now, I'll bet you if we took a poll, we could find out just about everybody in this room did not believe the best in everyone, everyone they met this week. And I don't just mean strangers. I mean people that are close to you. Somebody did something. Something was misplaced. How, you tell me if this doesn't ring true for yourself. You, uh, you have something that's important for you to have every day. And somehow it's not where you thought you left it, last left it. And what's your first thought? I'll bet my husband moved that. I'll bet my wife moved that. I'll bet my kids, I'll bet my whoever else is in the house. That's why it's good not to live alone. If you live alone, you, don't, you can't blame anybody else. It's a shame. Because if it's not there, guess who did it? <laughs> you did. Got nobody else to blame. If you got a dog, maybe you can blame the dog. If you have a cat, I'd blame the cat anyway, but that's just me. But it says, believe the best in others. How often are we tempted to believe the worst in other people? To not believe the, 
the best in them. And we've got to get over this, folks. This is the written word. If I don't obey on this level, how am I going to get to the next level? I, got, I, know, I hear people all the time that talk about like they're on another level as far as listening is concerned, and they can't hear this stuff. If you can't hear this stuff, how are you moving on? There is power in obeying the written word. There is more power in obeying what comes after it. But there is power in obeying the written word. But I've got to obey it and not keep questioning it. Well, I've been soaking it every day for a couple of days now. I guess I can stop. We, we, we come up with our own, own ways on these things. Quit doing it. Do what God says to do the way God says to do it. He says, believe the best in others. I, I, sometimes I'm, I look around Christians' faces and you can just tell. I can just tell. Sometimes just by looking. I can't say all the time. I'm sure I'm not 100% in this. But I, sometimes you just look at them and you can just tell they're not believing the best in someone. They're letting someone else's actions pull them down. They're no longer becoming an imitator of God. They're becoming an imitator of what they've seen other people do. You just kind of see that in, in them. And I'll tell you what can happen in church ministries. You get involved in church ministry and somebody in another ministry has done something and they didn't have a, a, a mindset on what you were doing. And they weren't thinking about your area of ministry. And this happens a lot of times. You know, if we're in one area of ministry, if we're in the worship area of ministry, we don't always think about the usher ministry. We don't always think about the children's church ministry. We don't always think about other areas. We think about the ministry that we are in. And, you know, I can do that too. Part of the, the part that I do in here in, in church, I do the teaching part. And so if, if I'm real excited about what's going to go on in the teaching part and the worship team goes over, well, those stinkers. I mean, they're taking away good, valuable time. I, you could do that, right? You could have things like that going, going on. Or the worship team could be thinking, oh, we ought to be going this way in a particular thing. And um, the offering goes in a different direction. And, oh, I don't think that's, that's right. And we begin to, to judge other areas, other people, based upon the ministry that we are in. You can't always do that. You have to be able to, to look out and see what, what happens with, with other things. What else is going on? Not there, but, but to believe the best in people. One of the things that, you know, you look around here and you look at all the different things. We have a lot of things that are going on. People put their all into it. They, they put the, whether it's in children's, ministry in children, whether ushers, worship, whatever it might be. Uh, they put their all into the thing. And it's just, it's, it's, we couldn't do what we do here without all the people doing what they do. Each one brings in the, the things that they, that they do. And if we stop believing the best in each other, then it causes us to walk in, a, in an area that's wrong. Wrong things begin to fester on the inside and it pulls me out from the place to be able to hear what God says to do so that I can get healed or I can get restored because I can't hear it and I'm not going to obey it. I'll tell you what, don't do it. Don't do it. That's one of the things that I, I know for my, myself. If I let any of that get into my life, I'll tell you what, it drains the anointing off of me faster than anything that I've ever seen. It also drains it from me. If I get around other people that are harboring stuff like that, I can tell because of the way that it drains the anointing. All right, well, this is going on with this person. They're, they're, they're tapping into this. And a lot of times I, I'll, I'll move away from it because I know that it, it pulls off the anointing. It just drains that anointing off, right off. 
Stay out of that stuff. Just, just quit it. Brother Doug Jones, he was one of the ones, he, he, um, he shared this story with I don't think I've shared this story with you in a long time, or maybe, maybe never. I don't know. It has been at least a long, long time. But uh, Brother Doug Jones, he was living with um, Brother Hagen for a while and going around with them and in, in doing the meetings. So they would go out to the meetings and, and things. And Brother Hagen, at the end of the meetings, you know, he'd be laying hands on people. And Brother Doug, he'd be one of the ones who's back there catching people. And he'd be catching. And this one particular time that Brother Doug brought this one up, he says, well, you know, I was upset at some of the things that had gone on as we were preparing for the ministry that, that night or whatever was going on. He just was upset. At, and I don't remember what it was. I don't even know if he told us. He may not have told us. He just said he was upset at some of the things that were going on and uh, in preparations for the ministry or how the thing was, was going on. And he was thinking about this while he was catching people. This is going over in his head. And he said, all of a sudden, Brother Hagen stopped laying hands on people. He took a step back and he looked at me. And he says, man, it didn't take me long to get right before God. <laughs> this is Brother Hagen, you know, doing this. And he says, just like, you know, you just kind of had that feeling that he knew everything you were doing. <laughs> he just stepped back and he said, he looked right at me. And so I fixed it. And then Brother Hagen went back to laying hands on people and we, can, we finished off the meeting. And so afterwards, you know, he walked into Brother Hagen. He says, there's no sense avoiding this thing. Yes, <laughs> going on there and <laughs> he walked in with Brother Hagen. And um, he said, you know, why did you stop? And he said, because there was a problem. We weren't making a connection on the anointing. And I knew the problem wasn't with me. That's, where his, that's how he phrased it. I knew the problem wasn't with me. And he says, well, you're right. And he told him about what it was. And he said, but I fixed it. He says, yes, you did. And they, and they went on and, and things, things happened. I'll tell you what, you let the devil get those kind of stuff in there. You start feeling, feeling um, wrong things about other people, not walking in love towards other people, letting, letting the, the devil get thoughts in, not believing the best. It will drain what you have in ministry. And then what you are doing, you're really plodding through and the fun goes the the fun goes i've heard people refer to this very often that uh, operating under the anointing is like operating in a wave in a way uh, any i'm sure we don't have anybody here I, i've never done anybody ever done any surfing i'm a bore surfboard the whole whole thing i didn't think we had any of that anybody ever done any body surfing you just put your body out there and you okay a couple people did that how many people watched people do surfing? <laughs> you watch okay, watch that. You, that surfer gets up there, or that body surfer, you ride the wave. You have to tap into an energy that's outside of you. You didn't generate it, but you learn how to, how to ride it. And if, you, if you, you never do anything else, go out this summer, go over to Jersey Shore, because I don't know any other shores that have it, but the shore, they have the waves. And if you get out there and you ride one of those waves. You will find out that just because the wave is there, just because other people can catch the wave doesn't mean you can. And you'll, you'll fail a number of times. You will try and do everything that everybody else did and you will fail at catching that wave. But once you finally catch that wave and you learn how to catch the wave, oh, it's, it's magical. It is addictive. You just want to get out there in the water and ride every wave that you can. Because it's so fun to catch those waves and have that wave just push it back in 
and go in that. Oh, it's just there's, you've never felt it. It's the closest thing you can come to fly in without a plane. Just just cruising. Around. Oh, it's wonderful stuff. But then all of a sudden, if you get out there on the ocean and there's no waves, now there's nothing to do. At least nothing to do as much fun as riding the waves. Because that's so much fun. Everything else is boring. When you learn how to do the ministry you're in, ride in the wave. And no matter what it is that you do, you can usher right in the wave. You can certainly be in the worship team right in the wave. You can minister to children right in the wave. You can be a greeter right in the wave. You can be a parking lot attendant and ride the wave. <laughs> There's an anointing on just about anything that there is to do for God in service. There's an anointing on you and you can ride the wave. Instead of just parking cars, God is speaking to you things to do to help to minister. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's awesome. And once you get used to riding the wave, nothing else will, will matter. And when you get around people that begin to pull that energy, you can, you can sense something far different. But anyway, that's a, we weren't even planning on getting into that area. area. Doing anything along those, those lines. Well, that's the first one. Do what is written. Learn that not only am I doing what is written, it's good for me, but if I do what is written, I'm learning how to do this. I'm getting myself set up to move into the next level of stuff, to move into that, that higher area of what God will, will say to do. You can get healed on the written word. How many people have been healed because the word of God said he himself bore your infirmities? Your sickness is, he bore it. How many of you have been healed because of that written word? There's healing is there. But here's the second one. What is spoken? What is spoken? This isn't what's written in the word of God. This is something that God speaks to you. Sometimes he'll speak to it in, in, the, in the gospels. God is speaking to the people through Jesus. Sometimes God will speak it to you directly. You'll just hear it in your spirit. It will always be in line with the word. But he will speak. It won't be the word, but it'll be in line with it. If that voice is speaking to you the word of God, you're on the first level. That's the written one. But when you get into this other level, God is speaking something to you. Like go wash. Like stretch forth your hand. Go show yourself to the priest. There's a higher level of power there. And these people, they turned around and they did it. And they stepped out and they, and they moved. Look at the things that Elijah heard the Spirit of God speak to him and he did. That whole episode with the fire coming down from heaven and burning up the offering. He heard God speak that to him and he did it. How about Elisha and the things he heard? He heard some things that were so specific that the king of Syria thought he had a spy. But he heard them and he spoke it out. That's a higher level. You operate in that level, the, re the, the return is greater. You got a greater return on it. Just like, um, how many of you have a four-cylinder car? Four-cylinder car. All right, got a four-cylinder car. Uh, that four-cylinder car may get you and do, and do the things that you wanted to do, but that four-cylinder car is no eight. That's no eight-cylinder car. That's a four-cylinder car. And that four-cylinder car can only do so much. But when you step up and you get a six-cylinder car or an eight-cylinder car, um, you're going to get more power out of it, right? 
I, the first car I had was a four-cylinder car. I didn't like the car that much, but, you know, the first car, you get what you can, and um, you learn off of it, and then you find something that you really like. So I had this four-cylinder car, and that four-cylinder car made the move from Tulsa, after I got done Rama, back to here. And that, I put all my belongings in that four-cylinder car, you know, a little hatchback, and... Um, Drove it on out here. It was doing a pretty good job until we got to the hills of Pennsylvania. Got to the hills of Pennsylvania. I didn't know if it was going to make it up some of those hills. It was struggling. It was really struggling. So I, I heard this to do. Go, go pull over in the gas station and get some high test. That's more expensive. But I pulled into uh, to a gas station. I remember the gas station. It was the, the ones, I think it was um, uh, Amico. They were one of the first ones that had the 93 High octane, high octane uh, gas. Put that thing in there, and filled it up with 93 octane instead of the normal. What is it? 87, 93 octane stuff, and then set out to uh, make it the rest of the way home. Oh, had no trouble getting up the hills then. <laughs> she was getting up the hill just fine with uh, 93 octane. Apparently, that really boosted it up quite a bit. But you know, I have an eight-cylinder truck out there. It's got a pretty good size engine, and I can have that thing loaded, and it don't matter what hill. We, we have everything. I have all the power I need to get up. You may operate in a four-cylinder world for a while and feel like, you know, this is a whole lot better than the bicycle I used to ride. And it probably is. But once you start to get into a six-cylinder and an eight-cylinder car, those four-cylinder cars just are not as, not as nice. God wants to lead you into higher things. But if you're still struggling with obeying the written word, how are you going to get to the level of obeying the spoken word? How are you going to obey when God says, do this? I'm going to have a hard time. So here's the second level. What is spoken? When God comes and he speaks something to me, it might be he might speak something to you through someone else. He might speak something to you down in your spirit. However it is, he comes and he speaks this thing to you. Are you ready to obey? Or are you going to question? And so sometimes we just question and we're not ready to obey. I'm not ready to tap into that power. But these people who were healed of these conditions tapped into the power because they obeyed without question. And that's where we have to get to ourselves to. You ready for the third level? Here's the third area. What is revealed or understood? What is revealed or understood. Just because God has spoken something to you doesn't mean that's the end of it. There's other parts to it as, as well. I'll give you a couple of examples on this one. In, Mar- in Matthew chapter 16, not going to go there, but I wrote the reference in there for you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus is asking a question, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say Elijah, some say prophet, some say... And then he says in verse 15, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he goes on from there, and and the Word of God in the narration part of it says that from that point on, Jesus taught them differently. He taught them about the things that he would suffer. He taught them about what would have happened to him at the hands of the Gentiles. He taught them about what the Jewish leaders were going to do. 
And then, of course, Peter rebuked him for, for all that sort of stuff. But because they had gotten to this level, it opened up some teaching to them that they weren't open to before because of what was revealed. How about the centurion? The centurion said to Jesus, and you remember the whole story, he had sent the Jewish, the Jewish uh, people that he knew, and they came and he figured they would know what to, to say and they were begging Jesus to come and so Jesus came. And he said, no, that's not what I wanted at all. And so he sends his friends and when he sends his friends out there, he says, no, 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 no. Uh, we don't need you to come. All we need you to do is say the word because I too am a man under authority and I say that this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. And Jesus said, remember the words of Jesus? I have not seen such great faith not in all of Israel. I have not seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. Now, was this something that this man knew because of what was written? Now, understand, Paul's writings were not there yet. In fact, Paul wasn't even saved. Was there anything in the Old Testament that taught this to him? Was there anything that Jesus said in his speaking that would have led him to believe this. How does the man come to a knowledge of something about Jesus that Jesus never taught and the Word of God never said about him? How does he come to this knowledge? And so that Jesus stops and he says, I've not seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. Because this man saw what Jesus was doing meditated on it, brought it into his own situation, and God used his situation to explain to this man how Jesus was was operating. The Spirit of God spoke to the centurion and said, just as you tell these ones to go and to come, Jesus tells sickness and disease to go and come. Well, if he does that, then all he needs to do is speak the word, my servant will be healed. And he had faith for that, not because of what Jesus said, not because of what was written, but because of what was revealed. This man based his faith off of an aspect of Jesus that was revealed to him. And Jesus stopped and he said, what? I have not seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. This is, this is great. Wow. Because what he's saying is true. But it had to be revealed to him. And he had faith in it. The Syrophoenician woman. Another one, he said she had great faith. Verse 29 of Mark chapter 7, where the story is. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. For this saying, what saying? Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. How did she get that? How did she understand that the crumbs that fell from the master's table, she was entitled to, and that's all she needed. See, if we, all, if we just hang out in the area of the written word, and that's the only area, and I'm still struggling over obeying what's in the written word, I'll never get to the spot where God can speak things to me and say to me, Steve, go over here and do this. Go over here and and speak to this person. Minister to this person. I won't ever hear that. Let alone obey it. 
But if I do get to the spot that I can hear that, I'm gonna, nah, I don't need to do that. Nah, I mean, going, nah, I, they look like they're in a hurry. I don't want to be messing with them. I know what it's like when I'm in a hurry. People want to stop and talk to me about stuff. We talk ourselves out of it. But then we're talking about the third level, which because that you have taken what is written in the Word of God and you've taken what it is that He has spoken and you're taking all that and you're meditating on it and meditating on it and meditating on it and then God brings revelation to you. Can you see this is true? I can see that is true. And I have faith for it. I am now operating at a higher level. And no matter what it is that you face, I'll tell you what, if you operate on that level, there's nothing that you can't stop. There's nothing that you can't change. But if you're still struggling with doing what God said, we're going to have a tough time with that. In the miracles of loaves and fishes, doesn't it seem that Jesus expected more of his disciples? You feed them. You give them something to eat. What have we got to do? So he sits them all down. Doesn't, don't you get the idea that Jesus had expected that they would have done something with what they had, but they didn't do it? And then he comes to the feeding the second time, 5,000 and 4,000. And he comes to the second time, and still they're not ready to do it. And after he gets done that the second time, he, t- he says to the disciples, you remember this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned in the heart, it's because we didn't take bread. And Jesus looked at them and he said, you reason in your hearts because you didn't take bread? Don't you understand the meaning of the feeding of the 5,000? When we fed 5,000, how many baskets were left over? How many fish were left over? When we fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? How many fish were left over? And they told him. And he says, and you still don't understand? We haven't taught him that one in a while. I'm not going to teach on it today, but there's, a, there's something more to understand there, isn't there? There's something they were supposed to glean from those miracles that they didn't glean, they didn't grow from, they didn't learn. And therefore, it was causing them to hear wrong stuff when Jesus was speaking to them. Jesus didn't give them the written word, beware of the Pharisees the loving of the Pharisees, he gave them the spoken word and they couldn't hear it right. And there was a reason for it. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. It says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Give attention. In other words, when God has, has given us his word, give it your attention. Focus on it. Meditate on it. Pull it in. The enemy is trying to get you to focus on what other people have done, what other people have let you down, what other people aren't doing, what things you can get aggravated on, what things aren't going your way. He wants to get you focused on all these things. What's God want you to do? My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, 
so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. I'll tell you what, if we could just get to the point where we understood this passage and the one prior, if you could understand what was going on, if you understood these levels that were there of hearing, you would not let yourself walk out of the area of love. Because as soon as you do, you are stepping outside of these scriptures. You are no longer mindful of his words. You're not inclining your ear to his sayings. You are inclining your ear to something else. And every moment of your life that you incline your ear to something else instead of what he's telling you to incline your ear to here. Every moment of your life that you do not incline your word to this, you are losing power and losing strength. And if you wonder why you can't make it through, you can't overcome, you can't change this thing, it's because you are sapping all the strength out of you because you're not listening to what he said to do. And the enemy just constantly throws out other things. In fact, other people don't even have to do anything anymore. All it has to do is they have to do something that you can interpret wrong. And the devil will come in and say, See? See that? Look at what they did right there. You should be angry. You should be mad. Look, they're not accomplishing the purposes of God. You need to accomplish the purposes of God. No one is as good at doing the purposes of God as you are. And you have become not mindful of the words of God. You become mindful of something else. If you can catch hold of how much power you can tap into by stepping into these areas, and especially that third one, especially that third one, oh, I'll tell you what, you will not let the enemy waste any of your time thinking about what other people have done to you, what other people have done against you, or how other people are in your way. You will think the best because that's what the Word says to do. And it will change your life. In fact, folks, a lot of the things that you face in the area of sickness and disease and injury and restoration will fall away and will not even be in your life if you follow after and do what he says to do here. We didn't even finish reading all this passage. I know we're over time. See if we can get, get through it. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. You can keep on going in that chapter. I just cut it off there. But you can keep on going. That's a powerful chapter. It's right there. Focus on these things. Pull this stuff in. Do not let the enemy get you focused on what someone else has done. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. It, it, it. It's too great of an effect on me. I'm not pulling that revelation. Every time that he can put, the devil can pull me into thinking about myself and they're thinking about what I've lost, what someone hasn't done for me. It pulls me out of the revelation. It pulls me out of the place where God will be able to speak revelation to me. And that pulls me out of learning some things that I can walk in for the strength that is ahead. I need greater strength for what's there. Some of you have been facing some conditions and they've been going on for a long period of time. 
You need great strength to overcome it. And God says, it's here. I got it for you. But he says in his word, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your mouth. Keep them in the midst of your eyes. Tell you what, folks, these are life. These are life for you. It will change your life. Make it difficult. Make it impossible for the enemy to pull you off out of the walk of love. Make it impossible for him to do it. He'll get frustrated. He'll get mad. He'll get angry. That's all right. You don't care about. You don't care about him. We don't need to have care about him. One more thing I want you to bring you back to with blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, as long as he was blind, as long as he had that garment of blindness, when he was in a crowd, what would a what would a blind man do? Beg. And when you have a large crowd coming by and you are a beggar, your natural inclination is to take advantage of this large crowd and to beg. But he went beyond that. He says, I'm not going to beg. I'm going to throw away my beggar, beggar's coat and I'm going to call out for Jesus. Because I'm not going for the what is now. I'm going for what is to come. And as long as the enemy keep you on the begging of everyday life. He can keep you from seeing Jesus for who he is and what he can be in your life. You got to get out of the day today and get into a whole other way of looking at things. And that's what blind Bartimaeus did. We could spend more time just talking on that, but you can meditate on it and get it. Just think on it. Think about how he had to take himself out of the place where he was when a crowd came on by to beg and instead, ignore the crowd and go after the one. All the noise the crowd was making, he went after the one. To have your eyes on the natural is to cast away your faith with confidence. To have your eyes on the supernatural is to cast away your garment. And we didn't pull that in. in um, uh, Daryl, if you could pull up that Hebrews verse as we go. Hebrews 10.35. Hebrews 10.35. I said we would get into this and we, we did not. In Hebrews 10.35, it reads this way. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Do not what? Cast away. It's the exact same word. Exact same word. What some Christians are doing is we are casting away our confidence because we are taking up something else. And every time that we don't walk in the things that God says to do, every time I step out of love, every time I walk in the area of unforgiveness, every time I don't believe the best in people, every time I harbor something against someone, every single time I am casting away my confidence. I am casting away my faith to pick up something in the natural. And the natural will only do so much for you. The natural for blind Bartimaeus would only get him a couple of coins in a cup. Every single day he might get a couple more coins in that cup. But the supernatural does far more. And God says, we're going to give you something greater. Something greater. Are you ready to cast away the garment? But hang on to the faith. Cast away the things of the flesh. Cast them away. Get them out. You don't need them. You don't need, they're holding you back from what God wants you to have. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that you give us such great examples in the Word of God. The centurion, 
the Syrophoenician woman, the woman with the issue of blood, blind Bartimaeus, so many others. Ones that we can learn from. Ones who stepped out just doing what every day was to do. And because of their faith, caused the answer to come. Father, many people are here in this room and they have the faith that they need just like Bartimaeus had the faith that they need, that he needed. All we need is that catalyst of obedience to do the thing that you've spoken to us, to do the thing that you've revealed for us to do. Once we do that, oh, it can change our life. Thank you, Father, for the power of God that is all around us, the power of God that desires to minister great things in us and through us. We can't just be satisfied with coming to you for our own needs. But Father, we want to step into a realm where we can tap into the power of God for the needs of others. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With every head bowed, no one looking around. If you say here today, I acknowledge, I can see where the enemy has kept my feet grounded, grounded in the muck, in the mire, grounded in the not walking in love, not believing the best in people, believing the worst as soon as I hear something or see something. It's keeping me grounded. It's keeping me from obeying the written word. It's keeping me from moving into a place where I can obey the spoken word, where I can even hear it. And it's certainly keeping me from a place where God can reveal aspects of Him that I don't know yet. Aspects like He did with the centurion, with the woman with the issue of blood, the Syrophoenician woman. Aspects that once revealed, oh, if I just do this, I'll receive. If you're here today, yeah, I've been grounded. I've let too much of this stuff hold me back. Raise your hand up. Nobody looking around. Raise your hand up. There we go. Father God, you see the hands that are raised. We've allowed too many things to ground us keep us not walking in the realm of the Spirit that we need. Oh, Father, we need it. There are some things that have come against us. There are some things that have attached themselves to our life. And we know it's not part of your plan. We know it's not your will. But these things can fall away. And I thank you that we will leave behind the shackles that the enemy has put on us shackles of unforgiveness, shackles walking in selfishness, shackles of only seeing our way, shackles believing the worst in people as soon as we see it, shackles don't let us walk in love the way you intend us. We can be free of all those shackles. And I thank you, Father, for the things that you're showing us. 
the things you're revealing to us. You have so much in store. And we will walk in those things. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Glory be to God. As you walk in these things, let me know how things are going. Slip a note, whatever you want to do. But I tell you what, we can get into some great victories in, in here. Before we go, Wednesday we will be in the um, teaching on Melchizedek, or Hebrews chapter 7, some other areas in Scripture. That will be going on, on Wednesday. Friday night we have the spaghetti dinner at 6.30. I don't think you have to be here at 6.30. We're going to start it at 6.30. And I'd uh, love to have you come on out um, as soon as you can, whether it be 7. Uh, do you know what time this uh, dinner is going until? Is there a time? 6.30 to 8.30. All right. So if you come at 8.25, you only have five minutes to eat. <laughs> All right, you'll have a few more times, a little more than that. But come here when you can. It's on Friday night, helping the kids out with the fundraiser they're doing for World Vision. And that's going on on Friday. And then, of course, Sunday we'll be back in here for, um, for, for church. The uh, men's ministry, we're getting ready to go out to the car show on the first Friday of February. So um, write that one down. We'd love to have you all come on along with us on, on that one. You have to be a man. Sorry, ladies, if you guys, ladies, want to have a night out to go to the car show, you can do that, but just not on Friday. <laughs> That'll be going on. See, Keith, you have any interest in that? I think that's uh, about it. Anything else I'm forgetting? All right. Have a blessed day, and we will see some of you here on Wednesday.